This is such an incredible, incredible book. And I believe that I have a really powerful truth here that God wants you to get through to your hearts and your heads and your lives. This message isn't for somebody else. It's for you this morning. You need to hear this. But you need to posture yourself in such a place that you could say, Lord, I, I, I want to listen to you. I want to hear everything that you have to say. Uh, because I tend to find that sometimes I'm the biggest obstruction to God really speaking deeply to my life. I, well, that's for somebody else. Or, well, I'm better than that. And This truth that I want to share with you is really going to be four steps that lead us to one conclusion and only one solution to that problem, the grace of God. Where would we be without grace? Nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. I'm so grateful that God doesn't just relent from the judgment and the wrath that he could pour on us and totally be justified for it, but he doesn't stop there. Then he ups the ante and he graces us with so many good things. How many of you are grateful for Jesus this morning? It's all about Jesus, and where would we be without him? We'd be lost. And that's where Jonah was. He got misplaced because of the one truth that we're gonna take four points and four steps to get to. And in simple, I'm gonna just spoil the whole core point of the message, it's this. And it's the truth I think God really needs us to hear. Do not confuse God's justice for your vengeance and do not mistake your values as if they're God's because they're not let me say it again do not confuse God's justice for your vengeance don't confuse your vengeance for God's justice and make sure that you don't hold the mistake to think that your values are really always God's values you see the message of Jonah is not about a prophet who's running from God or a illustration of what it looks like to be a backslider that's running away from church. Yeah, that, those kind of things are there, but that really misses the whole point of this book and why I call it the most underpreached book. The, the truth of the matter is the real problem and the real message God's trying to get across to you and I, the reason why God's given us this book to, and this truth to shape our life is the fact that you and I, like Jonah, often think that God's justice and our vengeance are one and the same, and they're not. And we miss and we lose sight when we put our eyes on finding justice by looking at everybody else. We miss the need and often the grace and the mercy that we need for our own life because we're so occupied with looking at everybody else. It's the danger of thinking that God's mercy and justice looks like our vengeance. And that's why Jonah ran. Let me just say this to you real quick. When God's justice, when we use God's justice to serve the purposes of our vengeance, it costs us mercy and grace that we desperately need from him. And so really what I want to do here is take the first step that kind of makes these points that's going to lead us to that conclusion of the whole point of this book and the whole point that God wants to get through to you, this message applies to every single person in this room. Do not miss it. Do not think that you, uh, you don't need it or this isn't you because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. But the first step is, is this. It's that God resent the prophet Jonah. God resent the prophet Jonah. Open up your Bibles with me 
And we're going to read from the book of Jonah. And if you'd reach in front of you, you can grab those. If you've got it on your app, we're going to read from the ESV. And I forgot to get my big Bible, and I still have not gone to the doctors for my big glasses. And, uh, but I'm going to make a high-quality, dramatized reading of Jonah. We're going to read a big passage here. It's going to be chapter 2 and 3, but they're not long chapters. But these chapters really are almost like a tandem parachute jump. One can't make it without the other. So I want you to listen with your heart and follow along with your hand as we read through this with our eyes. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That is loaded statement right there. Thank God for second chances, amen? This room is filled with people that had got a second chance. Second time saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is the way that you show humility and brokenness in the ancient world. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, and let not feed or drink on water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from the, his fierce anger so that we, may be, that we may not perish. When God saw that they, what they had did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this why I said when I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat in the, uh, to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah and it made it, that it might make shade over his heads and save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of his plant, but... When the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me that I die than for me to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be anger, angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you, you pity the plant for what you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being 
in the night and perished in the night. Should I not have pity on Nineveh, the great city in which there is more than 120 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Amen. I was freestyling on that because some of the words were blurring everywhere. (laughs) Could you tell where I kind of threw in some? That's not in the text. We filled it in. We made it work. Don't confuse your vengeance for God's justice. First step here of four that's going to lead us to the conclusion and help us to embrace the only thing that can change us. God's grace is this. The prophet Jonah is resent. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Listen, listen to this truth and mark it in your heart. God wants to renew and reuse you, not replace you. God wants to renew you and reuse you, not replace you. God is so patient. This church, let me tell you what, this church, again, like we are filled with people who got a second chance because of the grace of God. If that's you, say amen. I'm telling you. And Jonah got his second chance from God, but Jonah, never, uh, Jonah, Jonah knows that Nineveh never got the, a first chance. I mean, he hates these people. These people are responsible for murdering his countrymen. Maybe they destroyed and burned his home. Maybe they totally destroyed his way of life, stole his fortune, killed his sister, murdered his friend. I mean, this is open war. He hates these people. Why does he want to see God's grace go to them? But God is so persuasive sometimes. How many of you have ever had God press a full Nelson on you? And you're like, okay, Lord, I'm willing to do it. I'll follow you. I'll obey you. And so he goes back and God resends him in a second chance to do the will of God. And what's amazing about this is that that Jonah, God has to monitor this man's mouth and message. How many of you knew that you needed to, like, correct something or someone? How about a kid, right? How many of you, you know, when you're like, now Jimmy, or now Andrew, we need to use nice words. What's the magic word? And then you get a kid, right? What do they do? Presto. (laughs) No, how many of you have ever disciplined your children in anger? You had the right message, but you did it the wrong way. My son walks with a limp because of one of these moments in his life. (laughs) He's got scars on his body. No, I'm just kidding. Someone's going to call family services. That pastor's abusing his children. We used to have this joke when we go into public. It's funny, but I'll share it. Every once in a while, I'd turn to Andrew. You can totally do this with me. I'd be like, Andrew, do I need to use the iron on you again? And he'd be like, no, daddy. (laughs) I did that one time in public, and I saw this mom look at me like, are you kidding? (laughs) <laughs> but that was our ongoing joke. I've never, never done anything like that to my son, but I definitely have had the right message and delivered it in the wrong way. And sometimes, like in this case with Jonah, God needs to watch this man because he totally hates these people. And God loves them and he wants to save them, but Jonah's struggling here. And in fact, the first time that God talks to Jonah, he says, go to that city and tell them their wickedness has come up to me. But now he's resending him and God's like, I need to monitor this guy. And he says to him, he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I give you. Because I think God understood that Jonah would really have loved to have added some things to it. His message is simple. It's the shortest sermon in the universe. It's this. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. God bless. See you in eternity. 
Some of you are like, can we have a message like that this morning? Um, That's it. That's his message. But he could have been like, 40 days, God's going to overthrow this city. You're going to burn. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. I've come to find sometimes God has to monitor me. It's so easy to alter the message if we're not careful. And the challenge is that we sometimes emotionally compromise and we alter the delivery of what God wants to say through us to others. And sometimes we do it, and God has to say, hey, I don't want you to deliver my truth through legalism. Do you know that legalism has ruined a lot of people, and they're not in the kingdom of heaven and in church today because people have leveraged legalism and anger of hatred for, you know, well, you're not one of us, and you're not like this, and you can destroy it through legalism. That other times, God needs to watch out that we, that we don't allow our insecurities and our fears to alter the message. Because we, God says, hey, I, I want you to share with this person that, that, that what they're doing is not right, but, but I want to forgive them and help them. And, and then we, in our fear and our insecurity, we're like, oh, I don't know if they're going to respond. And God said this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah represents the opposite of Jonah. He was nervous. He didn't want to speak. He said, I can't even say things. I'll make a fool of myself. I'll make a fool of you. And God said, no, don't say that you're a child and you can't speak, but I will, you will go to who I send you and you will say what I tell you. And that same message and that same truth is for us just as much as it was for Jonah, as much as it was for Jeremiah, that God wants us to step out and step up. And he doesn't want to try to... For those of us that are prone to anger, to try and control people through shame and guilt, nor does he want us to dilute the message through fear and rejection of, and fear of insecurity. But he wants us to trust him. It's instant obedience. Obey and say what God tells you to do. And in fact, in Proverbs 30, verse 6, God gives us a, 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 a warning here, and he says, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. God just simply says this, go and share the message that I give to you and speak it. And Jonah here, it's just really amazing to me how gracious God is. I was thinking about another character in the Bible. A totally different reason why he ran from God or was derailed was Samson, the most powerful human being, killed 4,000 men with his bare hands and a donkey bone. 4,000 soldiers armed with swords. That's what the Bible says. This man, the power of God would come on him. But the problem with, with Samson is, is that he compromised his morality. And he, though he was a married man, he was sleeping with Delilah. And she began to say to him, what's the secret of your power? And Samson was a Nazarite. His hair had never been cut the entire days of his life, according to the Nazarite vows. And one night he just kind of lowers his guard and lowers the secret of his strength and says to her, you know what, it's, if my hair's never been cut, if you cut my hair, you know, different times he would say, well, if you bind me in ropes, you know, my strength will be gone. And so he'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd be bound in ropes and she'd say, the Philistines are upon you. And he'd go, and he'd break the ropes. You'd think this guy would have gotten a clue after the fourth or fifth time that like she, she said, well, what's the secret of your strength? And she tried to do, finally he says, you know, it's my hair. And the, the saddest verse in the Bible says that they showed up, they shaved his head, his strength left him. He said, I'll go and shake myself like other times before, but he did not know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. You know, when God shows up in the day of Pentecost, he shows up so loud, he's like a mighty rushing wind. But when you grieve him, he will leave so quietly, you won't even know he left. 
and you'll shake yourself. Oh, it's going to be like this again. And be like, where's God? But the beauty of Samson's story is found in this verse. It says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. God is the God of second chances, amen? He's the God of second chances for guys like Jonah, who are filled with rage for men and women like Samson, who, who disclose the secret of their strength and shave the morality of their life. And just when you think you've blown it and there's no hope, God resends us. You see, God doesn't want to get rid of us. God wants to use and reuse you. He does not want to replace you. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I'm not worthy. You're right. You're absolutely right. You're not worthy, but this is the problem. We often misunderstand unworthy with worthless. You are not worthy, but you are not worthless. Otherwise, God would not have spent the treasure of his son's blood on the cross and bought you back with it. Where would we be without Jesus? Nowhere. And that first step in our story starts with the prophet being resent. I remember a friend of mine saying this. He said, you know what? The first step doesn't do anything. All I'm doing right now, right? Am I going anywhere? Absolutely not. I'm pivoting. It takes, it's the second step that begins the journey. That's how the problem of why we get stuck for years and we never really get anywhere with God is, is we just take that first step and we wait for God to do everything. But, but you got to keep walking. And so the second step in this journey happens is this. Is the prophet after being resent, God tries to show Jonah the least likely people are the ones who will repent. Now this is a very short point I want to make, but it's so incredibly valuable. It's a loaded statement. It says this, the people of Nineveh believed God. Notice the message that the king says to the people. Hey, Humble yourselves fast. But he says, of the wickedness you've done, and then he says this, of the wickedness of your hands. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, you'd seen some pictures. The, these people were the worst army on the face of the earth up to this time. They would take everything and leave nothing. They would skin you alive for entertainment. They would behead an entire city and pile it up. They would impale you in the equivalence of, of crucifixion in the early phases where they'd put, a pole, put your a pole through your body and leave you to hang until you suffered and died. I mean, this is, this is as murderous as a society could have ever been. And it's almost an oxymoron that... The people of Nineveh believed God. It's like, really? Seriously? Like, all of a sudden, it's like, you just, you, you could just picture it. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. You get, have the worst gang in the planet you could think of. Or just take Hell's Angels or MS8675309. I don't know what their number is. MS13, right? And all of a sudden, you walk into an MS13 hangout, right? And they're all in there, and they're all crying. They're like, I've been so bad. Lord, forgive me. You know, they got all their guns and their knives in the middle of These are the least likely people to repent. It's crazy. Like, this story is almost like, are you kidding me? Like, seriously, like, those people. I never, they all had all these titles in yearbooks. You guys remember high school, you know? Most likely to succeed. I never wanted that, like, title. Least likely to succeed, you know, in life. But I wore it, Right? And here's the problem with when you look at people. You and I perpetually look at people and we decide who will respond to God and who won't. And so 
we share with people that are safe for us to share with because we think, well, you know, they really need it and they'll respond and they don't. And then we look at the other people like, well, that's so bad. Or, or you know what? I, I just don't want to make them nervous and like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt their feelings and I don't, you know, I don't want to offend anybody and, you know, I mean, and, and when you go around really like Jonah was doing here, he was, he was playing God. He was saying, this one can make it and that one can't. And he was choosing in the process. And I've wasted so many opportunities for Christ by responding on how I thought people felt they would respond to God. And I was completely wrong all the time. Completely wrong. I couldn't have called it. And listen, if God sends you to somebody to share, and that looks different for every one of us. Some of you understand what I'm talking about here. Others of you, if you don't, trust me, you just keep hanging with Jesus, you'll get this. But sometimes God prompts us. And some of us who are feelers, it'll come like this. You'll be in a room and all of a sudden, you'll just sense the presence of God. And you'll hear somebody say something. Your heart will start going boom, 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 boom. And God's prompting you, right? Others of us are thinkers and you'll begin to hear what somebody says and then you'll begin to hear something that you've heard from reading God's word or hearing God's word and a truth and you're like, totally, that's not right. This is right. And, I, and, and, and that's God prompting you, whether you're a thinker or a feeler, that's God saying, hey, go to those I send you and say what I ask you to say. But the problem is, is that we look at people like Ninevites. And my question for you this morning is this, who are the Ninevites in your life? Who are the people that you're looking at that you think are the least likely to believe? Is it a neighbor? Is it a worker? Is it a family member? Don't play God. Let me tell you what, this church is filled with people. And this person up here is a person who was the least likely person to repent. But I am so grateful that somebody said, I hear God telling me, go to this person and say what I tell you to say. And they shared the gospel with me. They shared the fact that I'm a sinner. I need a savior and Jesus will forgive me and not only give me forgiveness and mercy, but he'll also give me grace to live for him. And I'm a changed person and you're a changed person because somebody decided not to listen to that voice in their heart that said, this one, sh this one will respond and that one won't. And we do this in all kinds of different prejudices, don't we? We think, oh, those people in Lowell, man, you know, they definitely need Jesus. Are you from Lowell here? You definitely need Jesus. No matter what I say, you Lowell people, you definitely need Jesus, right? Then, then we look at the people at Tewksbury. Well, you know, they won't listen to the gospel because, you know, they, they've got lots of money. And, you know, the people in North Andover and Andover, they're just, and, you know, they, they're not going to listen to me. Or I don't want to offend them. Or, you know, I don't want to get hit by this person. And we go around and we play God. And God says, go to who I tell you to go and say the message that I tell you to say. How many of you this week, if God puts on your heart a thump or a thought, will step out this week and share it and do it? He's going to ante up on that. You watch. I find sometimes when we say, I'm willing, God says, perfect, here you go. You're like, thanks a lot, Pastor. I don't want the title of least likely to succeed, but I definitely will take least likely to repent any day. And I don't ever want to lose the awe of what Jesus has done for me. Or my need for his mercy and his grace. You can, listen, this church is filled with people and we're Nineveh here. We are the least likely to respond. But listen, God can do miracles with people. And you might have family members and friends and siblings and, and all kinds of co-workers and people that you don't think. But if God prompts you, you step out because God has a way of knowing what's going on in the inside of a heart that he can make the outside of their life change forever. So the first step, prophets resent, the least likely repent, 
And then I put in here another slogan. It says, the least unlikely person resents. And I noticed something. That's a double negative. It really should read, the least likely person resents, meaning Jonah. He resents these people. And I noticed something, that every week that I put these out, nobody ever corrects my spelling or my double negatives. So that either means one of two things. Either you are the kindest group of people or you is as dumb as I am and you're missing all this stuff. Either way, I'm fine with it, okay? Just want you to know. But I want you to know that we're really teachable and we grow. And if you show us and point those out with the right heart, you know, like, Pastor, hey, just want you to see that. Uh, and if you want to volunteer doing administrative stuff in the office, we will give you absolutely no money, but we will totally allow you to help us. The least likely person resents. He's a prophet. The story of Jonah, the unforgiving prophet, that's an oxymoron. He wanted to see the whole world burn, and in particularly the Assyrian world go up in flames. He wanted them to suffer. Can you relate to this? Do you have anybody in your life that you're upset with and you're like, I don't want them just, I don't want justice. When we say we want justice, we're not saying we want justice. We want to see people suffer. Point it out to you. I never watch movies. I don't do Netflix. I don't watch TV. I just watch it for educational purposes to understand where you're coming from, okay? <laughs> just being sarcastic there. Just joking. I love television. I watch movies. I totally... Watch too much Netflix, but here's, here's what I want to point out to you. There's an old movie. I'm going to date myself. If you've never heard of this movie, don't worry. I'm going to explain it. Uh, Goldeneye, James Bond, right? You watch those James Bond films? I saw a British guy explaining James Bond movie, this movie Goldeneye, and at the end, he's got his enemy, and he's hanging upside down. They're at this, they're at this uh, big satellite dish, and there's hundreds of feet to the ground, and the guy goes, the guy grabs him, and he saves him, and he knows, like, like, you know, he's going to just pull him up and say, I forgive you, brother. I love you. I'm going to have mercy. No, he's going to let him go, right? And that's why we paid the money to watch the movie, right? So James Bond is like, he goes, for England, James? And he goes, nope, for me. Oh! And the guy falls, right? And this just goes to show the entertainment. It zooms in in the terror of his eyes. It zooms out as he free falls. You see him going down like that. You and then when he lands, you would think if you fall like 300 feet that you'd be dead. But of course not. We don't want the bad guy to die. We want him to suffer, right? So not only is he on the ground and he's suffering and he's still alive after a deadly fall, but now the whole place blows up and now this giant metal girder satellite is falls on the guy with flames and what does it do it pulls out and you see it falling slow and it zooms in to the terror in his eyes and it goes back and then it hits him and you get to hear him go ah and everybody's like yes entertainment that's not entertainment that's vengeance that's not justice that's vengeance we don't want it like if we would be honest we don't want to see people receive justice we want to see him suffer. We want vengeance. God says about Jonah in chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Hey, where'd you just go a second ago? Oh, okay, all right. Just kidding. <laughs> just keeping that front row on their toes so they don't create a habit here, that's all. All right. Thanks for letting me pick on you, Jordan. All right. Chapter 4, verse 1, listen to this. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord. How many of you ever know what that feels like? I'm so upset! God! It's like, what? 
He says in Hebrew this phrase, he, he was upset and exceedingly angry. It's a big Hebrew phrase, and we never talk about original language unless it means something. But what it's saying here is this is pretty much the harshest way that you could express dissatisfaction in the Hebrew language apart from cursing. It is the ultimate. I am so insulted. And what's amazing about this is he's playing on a word that's found all throughout the book of Jonah. Evil, wicked, evil, wicked. It starts out in chapter 1 where God says, go to the city of Nineveh because their, their evil, their wickedness, their ra'at has risen up before me. This vulgar, foul wickedness. And then God, use, the, the book uses the same word when the sailors are fearing for their life. They're like, oh my goodness, we're going to die. It's all over. And they said, let's find out why this evil has come upon us. They recognize that it's not just a storm, but it's a wickedness and it's a punishment from heaven. And now Jonah is using the same word and he's saying, he's looking at God. He goes up on the city and he waits for God to burn it and destroy it. And he throws a fit because God is not exercising Jonah's vengeance, he's exercising his justice. And he says, I am so angry. In fact, that word later on, God and him have a, a, a yelling match, a little, for, well, it's just Jonah doing all the yelling, but he said, God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And that word literally means to burn with fiery anger. You ever get angry like that where your face is red and you're just like, you start hitting stuff and breaking stuff. How many of you have broken stuff in your house because of your temper? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Just come to the altar at the end of service. We'll help you out here. But he says, yes, I do well to be angry, and I'm angry enough to die. He's saying, I'm angry enough to kill somebody. Be careful that you don't call your vengeance God's justice. When God doesn't make his justice your vengeance, or in this case, the prophet accuses God of being evil. You're evil. You're wicked. These people deserve this. You should totally destroy them. And what I've come to find in the difficult hours of my life, and maybe you could agree with this, when I say why, why is God allowing this, what I'm really saying is why, God, do you approve of this? Because I don't. And we accuse God of wrongdoing and wickedness. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk, we'll talk about him down the road as we get to this after the Easter season. His whole book is about him having questions about who God is. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen to me? Why do you make me cease iniquity, evil, sin? Why do you idly look at wrong? Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when wicked swallow them up? The wicked swallow up a man more righteous than he. Why? We talked about this a while back when we were talking about freedom and freedom ministry here. But there's a very powerful truth when it comes to you mistaking and I mistaking and us mistaking and Jonah mistaking God's justice and our vengeance. It's called the economy of justice and it works like this. You offend me, you hurt my feelings. So now I punish you. I don't like you. I can consider you evil. I can dislike you. I can put you in a box of shame and disappointment. I don't have to be nice to you. I can be rude to you. I don't have to respond to you. I can totally be emotionally indifferent to you because you wronged me. And then, here's the other twisted part to this story. Not only that, 
but I determine the price you need to pay in order to be forgiven. I play God. And I say, I'll forgive you when you pay the price. And here's the other problem to it. We put interest on the payment. How many of you have ever watched somebody else? We'll put it on somebody else. Watch somebody else that wronged someone. And that person who wronged them realizes what they did was wrong. And they come up to them and they say, listen, I am, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And instead of forgiving that person, they increase the interest of their payment. And they say, yeah, well, I may forgive you, but I'll never forget. That's not justice. That's vengeance. And when we do this, we put ourselves in the place of God, which is a place that he never intended for you and I to be. God has set aside a day where he will judge the earth in righteousness. And there is a day of judgment. But before that happens, oh my goodness, he needs so many days of mercy for us. We need so many days of mercy. It displeased him. He was angry. Listen, I understand this place. And when I've been in this place, I've understood that it's wrong. But I've struggled with the why. There's a great book. I hate reading, so I don't recommend books unless they're really worth reading. I had to read 10,000 pages in a semester for my doctoral studies. Wouldn't recommend it to anybody else. That was actually my master's studies. That was Gordon Conwell. It's like a root canal without Novocaine. <laughs> Challenge. But this book... Every single one of you in this church needs to read it. It's called The Bait of Satan, The Bait of Offense. And I have watched so many Christians not be destroyed by sexual immorality, not be destroyed by, not be destroyed by drugs, but completely destroyed by offense and bitterness. They walk around their petty little world with their petty little offenses, keeping everybody in their petty little prisons because they completely do not understand that they have judged the world with their vengeance rather than allowing God to exercise his justice. Jonah was playing God. And if you'd be honest with me, I've done it. And when you lock people in that prison and you increase the rate, it's like the unforgiving servant who was forgiven millions of dollars and then he turns around and his friend owes him five bucks and he starts choking him, saying, pay me what you owe me. And the master hears about it. He says, throw that guy in prison. He goes, how is it that I forgave you so much and you can't even forgive this other person, you wicked servant? That's been me. Because I allow myself to get petty with petty little offenses. Because I take the place of God because I think I know better than you. And I have the right to judge your life. And I understand. Here's the ninth gift of the Spirit, the discerning of people's intentions, right? Like we walk around like, yeah. People say, listen, that's not what I meant. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you meant. No, they just told you what it meant. You just don't want to feel it because you're exercising vengeance instead of allowing God's mercy and grace to exercise justice. My mom read a book when I was a little kid and God was changing her life massively. It's called Lord Change Me. I've come to realize I cannot change my kids. I can't change my wife. I can't change my enemies. I can't change my friends. The only person I can change is me. She writes a powerful, profound statement in this book. She says, I've discovered through the years that surprising things happen when I pray this. Lord, change me. Don't change my husband. Don't change my children. I like this one. Don't change my pastor. Change me. Change me, God. Please, help me. See, when you put your eyes on others and seek justice, 
you become blind to your need for God's mercy for yourself. It's called self-righteousness. And the reason Jonah was angry with God was because he confused his vengeance for God's justice. That's the whole point of the book. This isn't what a backslider looks like. This doesn't look like a minister on the run. It doesn't look like what happens when you're running from God. No, the whole reason he ran from God was because he was totally measuring everything from the wrong value system. He wanted to see them suffer. And the problem is Jonah was not sharing God's values. He wanted to preserve and avenge his way of life and not save the lives of these people. So God, in his love, always patiently does the next step here towards our truth here that we're going to this morning. God of all mercy presents to us his perspective. He says, Jonah, I'm gonna just teach you something here. Turns to Jonah in chapter four, verse 10 and 11, he says this, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. You did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, which is, there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left. That's a Hebrew idiom for saying they don't even know the commandments of the Lord, whether they violated them or whether they've kept them. Forget the idea of us that are here and we know the Ten Commandments. We know when we're off, out of bounds and when we're in bounds. These people didn't even know what the boundaries were. And God's like, Jonah, you really care more for a stupid plant than you do for 120,000 eternal souls? Where's your head? Where's your heart? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Jonah? Let me put it into application. It's different when you're the creator. Every single one of us knows that there are children around the world starving to death right now as we're in this room. And many of you have faithfully and continue faithfully and hopefully next week will continue to be faithful with pledging to missions and we send money around the world that cares for children that are being trafficked in human trafficking, that cares for people in lives who are starving, that are people that are hearing the gospel who don't know their left from their right. But we're not rushing out to save them, are we? But let me tell you something. If it was your kid in another country right now starving, you would hop on a plane and you would do everything to solve that problem. The only relationship in my life that was ever an instant bonding was when my children were born. My wife and I met each other. She saw me and said, oh man, and I said, yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, we had to warm up to each other, right? Friendships, you warm up to each other. When my sons were born, it was the only relationship and Matt, you could totally identify with this. That baby is born, and it's the only relationship that you're like, I love you like nobody else in this world, and I will do whatever I need to do for you. Jonah cared more about a plant. The world's starving, but we're not hopping on a plane and doing that. It's different when you're the creator, isn't it? When it's yours. See, God carries something in his heart that you and I have to allow him to expose to us. God cares for all creation because we're his children. The wicked ones, the ones that know the difference between good and evil and do it wrong versus the ones that, that don't. Here's, here's an incredible thing about, and this is really the core values of our church. 
This is how Christianity works. There are a lot of people out there that say, you need to believe in Jesus. And you need to behave like Jesus. And then if you do those things, you will belong to Jesus. That's when he'll accept you. That is total legalism. That is a filthy gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? Jesus looks at you and says, I love you. And I want to belong to you. And I want you to belong to me. Faults and all. And I want you to begin to believe in me and put your faith in me and trust me. And this is the part where most of us, and Jonah even, have never entered into this third dimension of the gospel that is so critical and so the difference of whether you'll make it or not. It's called the grace of God. It says, I want you to belong to me. I want you to be secure to know that I love you faults and all. And I want you to trust me and believe in my mercy and my grace that I care for you and I'm gonna help you and I'm gonna be there for you. But I have the power for you to behave for me the way that I've called you to behave, to live holy, to walk straight in a crooked world. Here's the thing is most of us with this phase of Christianity, we treat this the same way that we do a gym membership and a diet in January. How are you doing on that diet and that gym membership, by the way? None of your business, Pastor. <laughs> we think that we change our lives because we believe. And now we begin to behave. If I become disciplined, and if I begin to exercise discipline, you know, God says, don't do that. I'm not doing that. And when God says, do this, I'm going to do that. And the truth of the matter is there's a problem that stands between you and that disciplined problem just as much as there is the same problem that you've realized with your gym membership and your diet program is that you are a human being and you are carnal and you are made of flesh and that, that we do not have the ability to even live for God. God's mercy is not giving us what we deserve, but his grace is giving to us what we, what we don't deserve. And what he does is, is he says this, in order for this part of the gospel to work in your life, you need to come to him and say, you need to acknowledge that you need his grace to be able to say, God, I accept your mercy. I know I belong to you and I'm growing in my belief in you, but oh my goodness, I don't have what it takes to behave for you. My heart is wicked. I want to do the right thing and I do the wrong thing. Read Romans 7. It, Paul sounds like a schizophrenic. The thing I don't want to do, I do. And the thing I do, I don't want to do. What a wicked man I am. Who will save me from this body of flesh? Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ who always gives us the victory. If you come to him and you say, I don't have what it takes, God then can look at us and say, now I can help you. Here's my grace. I'll give you the power to do what you were unable to do. See, this is why so many people fail at the Christian walk because they get the first two steps right. But when they come to the third one, they think that it's a determination of their own will and it never was and it never will be. You are saved by grace and grace alone and God's power gives you what you never had in yourself. This is the gospel. And this is what I'm hopefully hopelessly addicted to for the rest of my life. I was walking around this church as I was praying for this Sunday and all of a sudden I was just so aware of just how unworthy I was as a human being but also how unable I am 
to be the person that God wants me to be. And as I was praying, all of a sudden, it was like God just spoke to my heart and said, Paul, when was your righteousness and your goodness ever part of the equation? It was always about my mercy and my cross that forgave you and my spirit and my grace that empowers you. And the day that you make it a discipline program instead of a dependency program on me, you'll always stumble, you'll always fail, fall into my grace again. And I just started going through the room saying, when was it ever, I just got a boldness, like when was it, when did it ever have to do with me? I can't take credit for any good thing that's in my life. It's God's grace working through me. This is why so many people walk away from church delusioned and frustrated, disappointed, angry, calling it filled with a bunch of hypocrites is because they say, believe in Jesus, behave like Jesus, and then he'll let you belong to him. That's legalism. That's not the gospel. God says, belong to me, believe in me, and I will empower you to behave like me. It's like your teenage years of driving the car for the first time. Listen, it's a partnership. You have to drive the car. You have to watch the road. If you don't, you're gonna crash. And when you're learning how to drive, you're gonna make mistakes. You're not perfect. That's what insurance is for, right? Amen. But the more you stay at it, the better you get at it. But you don't drive yourself. You're sitting in your car and you're doing about as much as you do when you're sitting in front of your TV drinking your coffee. It's like you're pressing the gas, like you're just doing this, right? That's, it's not a big, that thing is taking you at 65 miles an hour. Liar. 90. It's the power of the car. It's not the power of your discipline. It's the power of the grace. But you also, you have to participate in grace. You have to, number one, acknowledge it and say, I need it. I don't have what it takes. And then God supernaturally by his spirit gives you what you never had, his grace, his power to be who he wants you to be, to do what he wants you to do. Mahatma Gandhi said it like this, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Confucius said it like this, before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. But God said it like this, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. That's simple. See, there's a deeper truth here in the story. The root problem of Jonah is not running away. The root problem is, is that like you and I, we want vengeance. We say justice, but we want vengeance. Justice and vengeance were never ours. We need that for our life. It's not simply what justice is and what deserves to be punished and what deserves to be pardoned. You and I will call it wrong. Why did Jonah feel these people deserved punishment when God sought their pardon? The very thing that God was angry about, Jonah was happy about, their destruction. And then the very thing that God was happy about, their genuine repentance, Jonah was angry about. How backwards is that? I find so many times when I think God and I are on the same page and I think I'm, I've arrived in my righteousness and my maturity and my spiritual leadership, God taps me on the back of the shoulder and says, you care more for the plant than you do for the people. You got the point, Paul, and you missed the person. This life is not the point. Our kingdom is not the point. Jonah was preserving a way of life rather than offering it to others. 
And he was concerned with people while God was concerned with all people, Jonah was concerned with his people. See, God's focus is always eternal. Jonah's people, the Assyrian people, you and I, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. And I want to close off, I really believe this is a message that demands a response from us. And when I say demand a response, I don't mean that, you know, stand on one foot, hold your breath, you know. I don't want you making any promises. Understand this, you cannot promise to be the right person and do the right person any more than Jonah did. You are filled with biases and bile and bitterness. And, but what we need to do is take the first of few steps here. First is acknowledge we're a sinner and he's a savior. And those two need to meet. There's so many people I hear that talk about God and talk about Jesus and talk about Christianity, but they talk about it from everybody else's perspective. I'll never forget the most powerful and beautiful moment and memory I have of my father. He's still alive. I don't think he'll be around much longer, but he's still alive. But it was when I was about 10 years old and they showed on TV at Easter time, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And after they crucified Jesus, I saw as a kid, my father, tears pouring down his face. And he goes, why? He looks at me, a kid. He goes, why, Paul? Why did he do it? All he did was love them. Why? My father was undone, weeping uncontrollably in front of me, a kid. And I didn't know how to respond, and I didn't know. But I'll tell you what, it burned in my memory. My father understood the truth. He's a sinner, but he's a great savior. And you can't ever forget or lose sight of that truth. Or you'll lose sight of the fact that you need mercy just as everybody else and you'll begin to replace God's justice with your vengeance. And you'll get the point and you'll miss the person. Even for those of you headed or in ministry right now, it's so easy for that to happen. Accepting Christ as savior, his death on the cross is God's mercy and the spirit of God gives us grace, what we don't deserve. And I think this morning here, we need to acknowledge here that we're sinners. But he is a great savior. Some of you, for the first time, that'll happen. But most of you, we need to get born again again because we lose sight of this. Second thing that I believe needs to happen here is that some of us here, we need the mercy of God because even though we believe in Jesus and even though we belong to Jesus, my goodness, when it comes to the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the offense that we walk around, we are, we are definitely not behaving like Jesus. And that'll destroy your life just as sure as heroin, just as sure as sexual immorality will destroy you. Bitterness and unforgiveness and a judgmental spirit of looking at everybody else's need for justice and not looking past justice and seeing mercy will totally shipwreck your life. We've confused justice with vengeance and we need his mercy. We need his forgiveness for that. Some of us need to confess that here this morning. Last point is this. Of all the points I think I made today, I think this was the deepest one resonating with this room, at least it was for me. I helplessly and hopelessly need the grace of God to be who he needs me to be. And I cannot let it be a reformation, a 
discipline program in my life. I need to return to the grace and say to God, I never had anything to offer you. I never will have anything to offer you. But oh God, if you have some grace to help change this place that I'm stuck in, to help change this thing that, that resurfaces in my life, to help change this mentality, this attitude, this problem, this sin, this thing. Oh God, if you have grace for me for that, I'll take it. How many of you could use grace like that this morning? How many of you could need to be born again again? How many of you need God to touch you with forgiveness for bitterness and unforgiveness, for exchanging and confusing God's justice for your vengeance? Across this room, if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Let's all stand to our feet here this morning. I'm gonna have the worship team lead us in a song. Before we do that, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And here's what I believe needs to happen. Just like as sure as you need to get in the car and you have a part in the participation, some of you actually need to participate in the grace of God. You need, you need to come forward and present yourself before God here at this altar and say, God, I'm coming up here and I'm standing here and I'm acknowledging this part of the truth of this message. That's me. And I'm stepping up here hoping that if me walking to the front of this room shows you my seriousness in this part that you would step down from heaven and you would meet me here and change my life. And I believe some of you will meet God here this morning. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your grace that's amazing. Join me in this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you are a wonderful Savior. Forgive me change me. Have mercy on me. Help me with my vengeance issue. Help me with my legalism. Help me with my judgmental heart. Take my eyes off of others and put my eyes back on you. Help me be secure that I belong to you. Help me grow in my belief in you. And give me power to behave for you. In Jesus' name. As the worship team leads us in this song, I encourage you to find a spot here. The kids will be okay. The roast will be okay. The restaurant will be okay. But you won't be okay if you don't meet with God. Let God speak to you here. You can come forward at this time. Oh, you go before I do Where my heart can see To find your truth Mercy is the shade I'm living Restore my faith and hope again. All I do is praise. All I do is worship. All I do is bow down. 
Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, not only for these people that are here, but those that are sitting in their pews saying, oh God, that's me, I need it. Lord, we lift up our hearts and our hands and our lives to you. You know what we are and you know what we aren't. Father, we need to know on a daily basis we belong to you. It's so easy to sometimes feel insecure in that. And God, so many of us, we struggle to believe in you. And Lord knows we need to behave for you. So right now, in the name of Jesus, across this room, I pray mercy would be given where it's needed. But Lord, not only would you just go that far, but you take it a step further. That right now, across this room, that grace would be given from heaven. Grace, Lord God, to change. Grace, oh God, to let go of unforgiveness. Grace, oh God, to let go of bitterness. Grace, oh God, to walk straight, Lord, to walk away from sin and to walk towards you. Take our eyes off of everybody else and put our eyes back on you. Let your love and your power be released in our life. Lord, take us from being a question to being the answer to this world. Change us by the power of your spirit. Right now, we release it all to you and we receive from you what you have. Go with us as we go our separate ways this week and help us to see that you have given us the grace that's so amazing in our life. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Feel free to stay, feel free to go.